Okay, well, with a buildup like that, uh, it's all downhill from here, I'm afraid. Um, so uh, my name is Mark, as Mandy said. This is my bride, Julie, of almost 21 years. And we are here tonight to share our story, which um, involves pain and grief and loss. Um, nothing says party like pain and grief and loss, right? So aren't you glad you showed up? Um, okay, who's doing that? Who's doing that? Is that me? Um, sorry. He uh, has been so gracious, though, and faithful to us, and we're honored to um, just get to talk about that tonight. I grew up in a believing home. Is this on? Okay. Yeah. Attended church faithfully, not always voluntarily. Was involved in youth group and young life. However, I wasn't, dis- sorry, I wasn't discipled at home to understand a personal relationship with Jesus. I learned about right and wrong in the world's eyes and how to give back to my community. All of these are great things to know, but an early understanding of who I was in Christ was anemic. This led to a lot of insecurities and looking for fulfillment in other things. I moved to Dallas and started attending Bible Study Fellowship for Young Adults, think the porch in the 90s. In all my attempts to be a serious Bible study student, I developed a friendship with this this smart-alecky guy named Mark. Our first date was in early 2000, and we got married in October 2001. When we first started getting to know each other, we were surprised to find out that we had had similar upbringings and had been raised with similar worldviews, a match made in heaven, you'd think. Uh, As our relationship deepened, though, we also discovered that we'd each struggled significantly with alcohol as teenagers. Our church backgrounds had led us both to uh, tend to look at faith uh, through legalistic and performance-based acceptance um, views, and we shared a struggle with insecurity and people-pleasing as well. What we did not share was a healthy way of dealing with conflict. Julie tended to negatively interpret my words and reactions, and I would say that I was a first-class invalidator. Uh, John 16.33, Jesus tells us that we're drawing breath. We should expect to have trouble in this world. And if you guys have been around, re-engaged for a while, you've probably heard uh, by now Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 7.28 about marital strife. We went through courtship naively, imagining that we'd somehow be spared from any chaos or pain. But um, really, our first couple of years as as a couple, uh, as a married couple, were really a sweet season. We knew we might experience some fertility issues, but we were totally unaware of how difficult it really would be. We spent our first six and a half years of marriage running the infertility and loss marathon. These difficult first years solidified our oneness in ways I never could have imagined, so we definitely experienced some blessing in those early trials. During the walk through infertility, we hit another big speed bump, one that had its roots in my life as a single guy. In my circle of friends from those days, I had had a friendship with a young lady who was something like a sister to me. Our relationship was platonic and never veered into the physical, but I realized in retrospect that I had been careless in the way I shared aspects of my emotional and spiritual life with her, unaware that that was something I should only disclose to other guys in my life and to my future spouse. I naively, I naively thought she and Julie would have some sort of friendship after Julie and I married, and my peace, uh, people-pleasing, peace-faking nature kept me from having any kind of conversation with this friend to put the relationship in its proper perspective. And guys, the first time we ever shared this story, literally, there's one, a late, one of the re-engaged leaders in the front row who just, just did that. So uh, it was really funny, and I, I, I'm not making that up. I totally deserve that. Um, so if you want to do that, it's okay. Um, I was baffled when she and Julie didn't hit it off. And to my discredit, I pressured you. Ju- okay. 
duly noted. Uh, okay, we're getting there. We're going to get through this. Uh, uh, I pressured Julie to make more of an effort, not realizing that to her, I was in effect choosing the other woman. I wasn't sure how to navigate the friendships Mark and I were already invested in. I wanted to support Mark in his friendships as I wanted the same in return. I had started to naturally distance myself from any male friendships I had, and I was really trying to have some kind of friendship with this woman. I realized that I was feeling manipulated by her, and in our interactions, she would always make it clear that she'd known Mark several years longer than I had. He and I were at odds about how to continue the friendship. I felt distant from him and felt like the enemy was using this as a wedge to destroy the oneness that we had begun to experience in so many other areas of our marriage. We had no precedent for dealing with this level of conflict. And to our regret, we didn't loop in our community group from the get-go. Once we did, I was fully prepared for our group to rebuke me and tell me to be nicer. I realized we needed to talk to our community group about this situation when this friend emailed one day to suggest that she and I meet for lunch to talk through a work problem she was having. While I knew she wasn't proposing anything physically inappropriate, I finally woke up in that moment to the fact that I'd been dishonoring my wife. I'd been invalidating her feelings and not living with her in the considerate, understanding way that 1 Peter 3, 7 talks about, and that in my passivity, I'd been encouraging an unhealthy emotional attachment. Far from pressing Julie to just try a little harder, our community group lovingly but firmly told me that my people-pleasing and my peace-faking and my invalidation were hurting my marriage, that because I'd lacked the courage to have a hard conversation, Julie was paying the price. Um, I'm going to go off, off script here for just, just a second. I'm going to fly without a safety net. Um, you know, I... I would just encourage any of you, and I have a feeling there has to be one or two in here who are here with a spouse, and you are convinced that you are about 1% of the problem, and they're the other 99. Um, I would have told you in that season that I was absolutely sure that the problem was all on Julie, um, and the Lord gave me courage to look under the hood, and I would just say, if any of you are in that spot, just I would ask you to ask for courage. Uh, pray for courage to take a hard look at, at, at what's really going on because I, I can almost guarantee you that no matter what your spouse has done, you have something that you could, you could own and confess. Um, Psalm 141.5 says, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Let me just encourage you guys, that whether it's through community group reengage or some other friends who are giving you biblical counsel, thank God for it embrace it and cultivate it. It can be hard to accept tough counsel, and I won't lie, I still experience some deep shame over how I acted in that season. Um, and if it weren't for the fact that she has forgiven me and I know I'm forgiven in Christ, I, I could really, really um, go back there and, and get, uh, get sunk. So um, it can be hard to accept tough counsel in the short term, but in the end, it's life-giving and it will produce blessing in your life. We explained to her the need for some boundaries, namely that I needed to be her primary point of contact instead of Mark, and eventually the interactions tapered off. I felt like Mark and I were truly a team again, that Mark had heard me, and that we, were at la- we had at last reached an understanding about this situation. We needed every ounce of oneness going into our next trial. We had sought reproductive assistance for our fertility issues, and I conceived triplets through in uterine insemination. While I had gotten far enough along and overjoyed at the process of being a mother, sorry, prospect. See, this is why we write it down. (laughs) The prospect of being a mother of triplets, God had another plan for us. 
I went into preterm labor in month six, and we lost all three of our little ones. I felt like the ground was slowly swallowing me up. The aftermath was so surreal. Mark and I didn't know how to process this loss. It was so unlike losing our grandparents or older relatives. I clung to Jesus and to Mark, knowing they were the only ones who really understood the depth of this loss. My memories from that morning are sitting in Julie's delivery room bed, holding each of our babies and telling them goodbye and sobbing our hearts out, watching them carted away by a nurse, never to see them again in this world, our parents and several friends coming to the hospital to comfort us, watching our parents cry for their grandchildren and for us, and just feeling the sense of dread that joy might have left our hearts forever, left our lives forever. Um, For time's sake, just hitting the high points of our journey through grief, um, I'm going to be completely honest. We hit some detours and setbacks because grief is very much not a linear uh, journey. But on days when I could barely put one foot in front of the other, God gave Julie the strength to encourage me and remind me of God's promises. And on, on, on other days, the roles were reversed. Um, Isaiah 43, third, uh, 1 through 3 was a passage that fed our souls in those dark days. And I might cry when I read this. I kind of do sometimes. Um, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And even in the labor and delivery room that awful morning, I felt the Holy Spirit impressing on me that the Lord was near, that he was up to some greater purpose that I wouldn't be able to see or imagine in that moment, but that I could trust him. Even we could trust him, even in the midst of what seemed like the end of our world. The body of Christ came around us in amazing ways and inevitably at moments when we needed to be reminded that God was still present and at work through our pain. Friends came by with meals, sent cards, sat and listened while we cried and wondered aloud what God could possibly up to, be up to. Um, so we have a, a picture for you. Um, here is, is, is part of that answer. This is our family. These two boys are our greatest earthly blessings and a daily reminder to Julie and me of God's grace. Our patience, our most earnest, tearful prayers, our obedience, none of this in any way obligated God to grant us the dearest desire of our hearts. We knew uh, from what first, uh, Second Peter 1, 3 through 5 says that God gives us everything we need for life and godliness and that we would become parents if and when he sovereignly decided it was time. The wait was long, children were never guaranteed, and we thank him even in those times when parenting can seem overwhelming for his grace, his unmerited favor on our lives, first and primarily through the gift of his son Jesus as a payment for our sins, but also for the blessings he pours out on our lives only because he is a good, good father who delights in giving good, unexpected, and undeserved gifts to his children. If our story appears to have unhappy... Take two. If our story appears to have a happy ending, it's not because the Lord graciously answered our prayers for children. We never in our wildest dreams could have imagined how how much we would love being parents. But what came out of years of brokenness, confusion, and despair was a new purpose. The Lord created a community at Watermark for grieving people through the ministry of Grief Share, and it was a natural volunteer opportunity for Mark and me. We found purpose and passion in ministering to people in grief recovery, not at all what we had imagined. God is so good at what he does. 
In grief recovery, we have been able to share our story and share where our hope is found to many people seeking that same hope. In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph acknowledges to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God has done just that through grief recovery. He has saved lives as they see hope in Jesus through tears of loss. Because of the passion the Lord had ignited in us for grief recovery, he also made a way to create a ministry for grieving kids called SHIFT, which has also served to save many lives as well. We've shared these two significant marriage events to you because they actually have a connection. They're both about loss. And if you're wondering how at all they might relate to you in your marriage, I'll explain. In the dealings with this female friend, we lost something. Our relational trust took a huge hit. Julie lost a great deal of respect for me, and I, in turn, lost a great deal of confidence in my ability to lead my wife well in view of my shortcomings and my broken way of dealing with conflict, which felt almost too significant to overcome. When we lost Lucy, Will, and Annie, not only did we lose physical children, but we lost dreams. The dream of being their parents and raising them to know Jesus. The dream of seeing our season of childness, childlessness finally come to an end. We lost relationships with people who were uncomfortable around us and chose to stay away. And while it never happened, the enemy would love to have seen the loss of our children compounded by the loss of our joy and of our faith in God and no doubt eventually our marriage. One loss came about as a result of Mark's sin, the other because our world is broken and chaos and sorrow are sometimes the natural consequence of mankind's decision to live life on our terms. But because Satan is a thief, Jesus said in John 10.10 that he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me read you a quote by David Powelson. Loss is not a topic It's one of the essential constraints, conditions, and contexts of our entire lives. It's like the air we breathe. It's one of the things that is at the very heart of human existence, experience. And it's one of the things that's at the very heart of everything that the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses. So you might not have come here tonight expecting to examine the losses you've experienced. Um, What our journey has taught us, though, is that they're real, they're part of living in this messed up world, and they have to be acknowledged. Perhaps your journey includes abuse. You may have experienced the loss of your innocence, perhaps adultery, and you've experienced the loss of trust, a loss of trust in that partner you'd hoped would remain faithful. Perhaps joblessness has led to a loss of self-confidence. Perhaps a tough parenting situation has led to a loss of peace financial problems to a loss of your sense of security. And I think collectively in the last couple of years, we've had to come to terms with the loss of the notion that we have some actual degree of control over our circumstances. We could go on all night uh, like this. Much like a doctor has to come up with a diagnosis before he can prescribe a treatment, our encouragement tonight is that we really have to take a close look at whatever losses we've incurred in order to bring them to the Lord for healing. Not so that we can get mired down in victimhood or self-pity, but for healing and restoration. Matthew eleven twenty eight is just one place where Jesus promises rest to those who are stumbling under the weight of life's losses. But what has been taken from us along the way... Jesus has promised to either restore or to replace with something even better. I only read you the first part of John 10.10. And if that were the end of the verse, 
we'd be in a pretty hopeless state. But Jesus added, I have come that my sheep may have life and have it to the full. In our situation, he replaced confusion with direction, childlessness with purpose, devastation with joy. He took our focus off of our own pain and opened our eyes to the world of need we'd never noticed before and allowed us to share the hope that we have with others who were hurting. Yes, he even gave us children, but the greatest gift, the gift that he wants to give you tonight, is more of himself. We don't have time to go through all of Psalm 63, but King David seemed to get this concept better than anyone. Listen to some of the verses from this particular psalm. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Your love is better than life. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. This is our prayer for you tonight. If you are here because the sin of this world has impacted your marriage in some way, that the Lord will help you see it clearly through your time in the curriculum, through your time in breakout groups, and in your time sharing with your husband or wife about what God is teaching you. That you'll not only have the courage to take a hard inventory of the losses you've experienced or caused, but that you'll let Jesus into all of those broken places. You'll find the strength to forgive and to accept his forgiveness where necessary. And that in being honest about what the enemy has stolen, killed, or destroyed, you'll experience the healing Jesus wants to bring into the situation. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And I just want to add that if you've taken the courageous step of coming to re-engage for the first time this evening, way to go. That's huge. Um, if you've decided to jump in because you're, if you've decided to jump in because you're already on solid footing and you just want to find some tools to grow even more deeply committed to God's plan for your marriage, that's also seriously awesome. If you're in that group who are struggling, maybe you're having a tough time believing the best of your spouse. Maybe you're not sure staying together is worth all the hard work it's going to take. Maybe you've experienced some of the very real losses we've mentioned, whether through living life on your own terms or just being alive in a fallen world. We also pray that if you relate to any of this, that not only will the Lord restore and heal all your brokenness, but that you might be able to see beyond the grief and the loss and catch a glimpse of what your marriage might look like on the other side of it. If you'll take it all to him, he won't waste one ounce of your pain. But instead, as as Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says, he will do more with your situation than you can ask or imagine. We certainly never expected ministry opportunities to come out of our brokenness, to be able to comfort others with the comfort we've received from Christ. We can't know everyone's individual stories, but what we do know is that only Jesus can heal the most desperate and broken situations and use them for something eternal and glorious and life-giving. So dream big. Let him have his way, yield to his spirit, and there's no telling how he might use the very pain that got you here tonight to bless you and to glorify himself. Thank you for letting us share.